The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Amir Rashidian. He's the founder of Mid-Atlantic Chiropractic Center, where the focus is improving health of people through drugless solutions. He recently published The Stress-Proof Life, which documented the real-life stories of his most memorable patients while showing the readers the secret to becoming the kind of person who is able to handle any amount of stress on that journey towards greatness. Dr. Rashidian, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so that's a, you know, kind of fascinating concept that people can really learn and grow to handle more stress and the role that stress plays in limiting our choices. And let me start by asking you, how do you define or interpret stress? Personally, my definition of stress is that it's a force. So it's a force that will cause change in your life. That change can be positive or negative, but the force is neutral. So imagine gravity is a stress. It, it, it holds our feet to the ground. It keeps us from flying away. Uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's not a good thing when it makes you fall and get injured, but it's a good thing when you, we're not floating out into outer space. As The same goes with fire. Fire can cook your food or it can burn your hand. It's a force. It can, uh, the change that it causes can be good or bad. So, so when you look at stress as a force, that, then it becomes neutral. Then it's neither good or bad. I know that uh, the original founder of the word, the person who coined the word stress was Dr. Hans Selye, who said um, uh, that, that's, that you have you stress and you have this stress. And you stress is good stress and this stress is bad stress. And I, I don't disagree with him. I just want to add that, yeah, but there's too much of a good thing also where you have too much use stress, but you can still get hurt like exercise, right? If I go to the gym and start lifting weights and I'm lifting more weight than I should be, but I'm using use stress, but I'm injuring myself. So, but if I do it properly, then I should get stronger and healthier and, uh, and look better. So I, does that kind of answer your question? Well, it does. And then it kind of, you know, invites the next question. So how can we sense where we are on that spectrum of, you know, when is stress a good thing? Or like you said, if you go to the gym, how can you avoid the injury? Oh, fantastic. So the concept is called GAP or GAP. It stands for general adaptation potential. Adaptation is key. We don't need to adapt. We adapt to our environment on a regular basis. Uh, being a physician, you know that some there's certain medications that, that you may put someone on and then they start to adapt to it and all of a sudden you have to increase the dose to get the same results. So adaptation is what we're looking for. So, so we increase the stress if we're in the gym, for example, if we're doing cardiovascular or weight training, you, you start with where you know you can handle and you increase it just a little bit. If you see adaptation happening, that adaptation can be in the form of increasing your strength 
or it could be increase in muscle size or any of that. And, and, it, and if you're still doing well and you've given enough time for adaptation, you hit a plateau, now you increase the stress more. So the general adaptation potential, if you look at it as a gap, let's say between these two points, your stress level being in the middle of that is not going to harm you. The minute your stress level goes above your ability to adapt, that's when you're injured. So here's an example. You'll have college students. I mean, haven't been through medical school. You pulled some all-nighters, I'm sure. So, so you're studying really, really hard, and you take your final exams. You take your last final exam, and the next day you have a sinus infection. And it's, it's because you were burning the candle at both ends and you, you put yourself under more stress than you should have and now your immune system has suffered for it and you are susceptible to that type of infection. And now, if you can gradually increase the stress in your life to increase your adaptation, I think you know that's certainly one way to adapt. But how about the scenarios where stress just happens, right? So you don't always choose the stress in your life. You know, something tragic may happen. People get diagnosed with illnesses. Things happen that are unpredictable that sometimes all come at the same time. So what if a person goes from, you know, everyday stress to this inordinate burden of stress that hits at once and they haven't had time to adapt what are ways that person can approach stress to kind of move forward and not let it set them back that's a brilliant question because the fact of the matter is if you haven't been through tough times in the past they're coming and and we need to prepare for them so my solution would be to not wait for that. I met a cardiothoracic surgeon a while back, Dr. Russell Reese. He was one of the pioneers in helping uh, to design that the, the open heart surgery would actually put the body in cryostasis. They, they freeze the body they, and, and they remove the heart from the body and they operate on it and put the heart back in and restart it and turn the body back on. I mean, it's phenomenal. And, and you know, my, I was talking to him saying, you're such an amazing physician, a surgeon. How do you do that? And he said, and I'll never forget, uh, he said, if you live long enough, you're going to be faced with some kind of challenge whether it's an illness or an injury or an accident, something's going to come your way. And then he said, how you come out of that depends on how you've been living your life up to that moment. He said, it's not dependent on the surgeon's skills. He said, I'm a great surgeon and I know that. And I know that I'll do a great job on every one of my patients. But I can also predict for you whether that patient's going to walk out of the hospital in nine days or not for nine months, or maybe that patient won't walk out of the hospital. And that prediction is not going to be based on how the surgery went or how I did. It's going to be based on how they lived their lifestyle up to the moment of that event. So his point is, even if you live a really healthy lifestyle, there are illnesses that may attack you and hit you and, and you can't predict them. But we have to live as if we're about to step into the ring, you know, the, the boxing ring, the prize ring of some sort. We're going to face some kind of challenge, and that opponent may be bigger and stronger than us. But if we've been training, you know, using the boxing analogy, Muhammad Ali said this. He said, he said the fight is won or lost away from witnesses, behind the lines, in the gym, out there on the road, long before I dance under the lights. Before it happens, let's start preparing for it. Which then begs the question, you know, so let's say one of your patients comes to you and says, you know, I want to 
really prepare for more stress. I want to be able to handle more stress. What are things that they can begin doing today? What do you tell your patients? I love it. It's, it's, it's really the basics. You know, I, I'm a big fan of sunlight. Uh, I, I, and I know there's, there's a lot of controversy when it comes to uh, skin cancer and, and so on. But I know that 15 minutes in the sunlight, you're not going to really burn. Uh, and if you would burn in 15 minutes, do less than that. But we really need to be exposed to sun more often. Sunlight helps our body serotonin levels normalize and and, and which is what most antidepressants are focused on is that serotonin. Uh, but we can normalize that just spending some time in the sunlight. So, so, so that's one. Uh, exercise another, is another one. If you do some intense exercise at some point a uh, uh, couple times a week, you get to release endorphins and enkephalins in your body. That's, endorphin is your body's natural morphine. You know, and you'll feel good, but there's no side effects to that. Um, sleep is a huge one. We're not sleeping properly. I always say how you sleep is much more important than how long you sleep. It's about the depth of your sleep. You get a 90-minute REM sleep where you go through a full cycle uninterrupted, you'll wake up much more refreshed than if you sleep eight hours, but you never went into a deep cycle. Um, Another one is breathing. Our breathing gets affected when we're under stress. We change how we breathe. You think about this. If something bad happens or someone gives you bad news on the phone, the first thing you do is gasp. It's an inhale. When you feel relief, you exhale. So there's breathing techniques where you focus on exhaling a specific way, and we'll certainly be happy to talk about that. That'll reduce that fight or flight syndrome and put you back into you know, rest and repair. I like rest and repair instead of rest and digest. You know, I know that's the common term, but I also know that the body repairs in that state of parasympathetic nervous system. Another one would be music. We don't use music enough. You've seen it when you're at a party or at a wedding and some song like I Will Survive goes on and you saw people who looked like they couldn't get out of their chair all of a sudden jump up and start dancing and screaming uh, because this music came on. Why aren't we using music to to increase our stress adaptability. Um, I, I'm a fan of supplementation, as long as it's whole food supplements where you know, tested, researched, and proven to be uh, good for you. The absorbability is there. Absolutely, there. it's not always possible to get every nutrient in our diet. Toxicity is another one. Preventing toxicity and avoiding deficiency are two big things when it comes to your ability to adapt to stress. And I'm a fan of visualization. What, what if once a day for 60 seconds you closed your eyes and you went back to your favorite vacation spot? And when you got there uh, mentally, you visualized everything, like what the sun felt like on your skin, what the breeze felt like, what the waves sounded like, what the seagulls were doing, what the sand felt under your feet, or where, whatever, it might, it might have been a cabin in the woods or wherever it was, who was with you. But when you re-experience that for 60 seconds once a day, believe it or not, the physiology of your body doesn't know the difference that it was actually happening or if you were just imagining it. And when you come back, you feel like you've just been on vacation. How often has it been? You went on vacation and you came back and you go, I don't know why I feel so good. I just, I feel good. I feel, I feel calm. I feel relaxed. This is great. That vacation was just what I needed. But we can recreate that on a daily basis. So sunlight, visualization, exercise, sleep, breathing, um, supplementation. 
amazing simple things we can do on a daily basis starting right now to prepare for being able to handle any stress. Yeah, no, that's, those are all really great points. And it, in some ways it's simple, but in some ways it's so hard, right? Yes. Yes. Because you probably have a lot of patients just like I do that, you know, know some of this, but implementing that into their life is hard. And then once they do, I think a lot of times people take one step forward, then a step back, you know, ironically, sometimes something really stressful happens and all the things they were doing to help with the stress, they throw out the window because they're too stressed to do them and getting people back on track um, can be hard. How do you encourage your patients to stay on track to get momentum because like you said, you can go on vacation, come back, you feel great. Um, but then you're back to life, right? And all the challenges and demands that come with everyday life. Um, yes. And keeping up those same habits, you know, making the time, whether it's music or being outdoors, what are some tools that people can do to stay accountable to themselves? I love it. And you used a very magical, powerful word when you asked the question, and that word was habit. So, um, so, so I want to I want to um, quote two two very good books. One is I think the title of the book is just Habit. The other one's called The Compound Effect. And The Compound Effect, written by Darren Hardy, was about the fact that uh, if you make a tiny little change and you sustain that change, and then you add just a little bit more and a little bit more, it compounds the same way money compounds. You know, Einstein said uh, compound effect from a money standpoint is one of the wonders of the world because you can invest just a little bit of money each month and because the interest compounds on the other interest, eventually it ends up being a big, large sum of money and you never had to put away a whole lot of money. Same thing applies to your body. All you, let's, say you, let's say you just decide I'm not going to eat that Snickers bar in the afternoon every day and that's all you change. Uh, it can have, over the next 20 years, it will have a huge effect. Next year, you'll still look the same and feel the same. Not much has changed. Two years from now, probably not, no different. But 20 years from now, compare where, where you were headed to where you're heading with that change. A little change 20 years later, big difference in your health. So it's the compound effect. Don't worry about making big changes. You already have a lifestyle you're living in and you enjoy that. I don't want you to hate your life. That's the worst thing you can do because that causes more stress. On the other hand, uh, the, the word habit. So, so the book was talking about how to create a habit, how to build an actual habit in your life. First off, I'd say pick one. Pick one habit. You spend the next 90 days making that a habit. And let's say this habit's going to be when I wake up every morning, I'm going to drink two tall glasses of water. And you want that to be a habit. So how does that become a habit? You, you could wake up and start your day and realize you forgot. So the first thing you need to create a habit is a reminder, something, maybe on your alarm clock, on your phone, something, leave yourself a message, have a bell go off, something that says it's time to drink the water, unless you have a reminder. And it's three R's if you want to remember this, three R's for building a habit. The first one is reminder. If you don't remind yourself, it's not going to become a habit. The only way you'll remember if it's already a habit and it's not a habit yet. So, so many of my patients go... Doc, I went to bed last night. I realized I had forgotten to do my exercises. So I said, I'll do it tomorrow. And then I went to bed again and I forgot to do them again. So 
but when you set that reminder, you'll remember it. Number two is ritual. If it becomes a ritual, it's much easier to remember. So whatever you want to turn into a habit, it should become a ritualistic pattern. If it's an exercise you want to go do, do it at the same time, in the same place, the same way, every single time. Rituals are what become habits. If you do it here one day and here one day and forget, you know, change it to something else each time, never going to become a habit. The last one is the most important R and that R stands for reward. Unless you reward good behavior, it does not become permanent. So for me personally, there are a series of exercises I do every morning. This isn't what I do in the gym uh, from a training standpoint, but I have neck and back exercises. Being a chiropractor, I like to walk the talk, you know? And so there's certain exercise I do to protect my spine on a, every, on a daily basis. And that doesn't matter if it's Sunday or Monday, I still do them. If you ask my children, if we're on vacation, we could be vacationing at Disney. I get up before everybody else does just to do those exercises every single morning. It's now a habit. Sometimes I wake up and realize I'm halfway done through my exercises because I got out of bed and started doing them without realizing it's that much of a habit, but how do I reward myself? I like coffee. I'm a fan of coffee. I have one cup of coffee in the morning, every morning. It's my indulgence. And so my reward is my coffee. I can't have it unless I do my exercises. So my reminder is if I wake up, it's time to do my exercises. That's my reminder. Second is ritualistic. I do it the same way every day, no matter what. And then I reward myself with my favorite cup of coffee. And if we do that, we can turn everything we want to build into a habit very quickly and easily. They say it takes 21 days to build a habit. I say take nine, 90 days, take three months. And at the end of three months, add another habit. At the end of the year, you've added four habits to your life that you can sustain on an ongoing basis. And then what if you only added one or two habits per year that made you healthier? What if, what if 90 days you add a habit, the next 90 days you say, I'm going to break a bad habit. So something, so a to-do habit and a to-don't habit. What if we made a list of things we should stop doing to free up time? One of those I highly recommend is stop watching the news before you go to bed. No, that's a bad habit. You put your body in fight or flight. You activate your sympathetic system and, and now you're trying to go to bed. But cortisol levels need to be really low at night. They should be high in the morning, they should drop down, and they should be super low at night so you can fall asleep and enjoy your sleep. Why would you stress yourself out right before bed? Uh, so anyways, uh, to-do habits and to-don't habits. Yeah, no, it speaks to the power of habit, both good and bad. So I think you um, explained that really well. And, you know, you um, also is, you know, part of the book, you'd mentioned that this is... Um, you can handle any amount of stress on that journey towards greatness. And, and that's such an interesting way to phrase it because, you know, a lot of people have self-limiting beliefs, right? We hold ourselves back, but we don't always know we're doing it. A lot of this is done on a subconscious level. Yep. And when we're talking about stress and techniques, how do people know that this is for them? You know, oh, that... Cool. Yeah, right, exactly, that, you know, we all live with stress, um, but how do we know that, you know what, maybe I am holding myself back, maybe I do need to do a better job adapting, are there certain signs or signals in your everyday life that say, hey, you know what, you could be turning your life in a different direction if you worked on this? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so here's the thing. Um, you know, I use the word greatness on that journey to greatness. And it's, it's because um, I believe everyone has a dream. Everyone has a mission. Uh, whatever you, you believe in, uh, whether you, you were created for something special or you were put on earth to be a healer or a doctor or a teacher or a, or a, or a builder or whatever that was, there's this desire in your heart to do. Like, for example, I was in this village um, when I was a little kid and a woman died because there were no doctors there. She was pregnant. She was having contractions and there were no doctors. The midwife said, I can't help you. There's no heartbeat. Uh, there's nothing. I can't do anything. And she walked away and that lady ended up dying. And I said, I need to do something. I need to. So there's my desire. You know, I, I want to see if we can help as many people as possible. And then later on in life, there were other events in my life that drove me whatever that is, there's this dream or a desire that you want to achieve. There's a person that you dream of becoming. What the fact of the matter is, that person, for me to become that person, I need to be able to face the challenges that are going to stand in the way. There's going to be obstacles. If I want to be a doctor, wow, I've got to take certain tests and read certain books and memorize certain facts, right? Then I need skills that I need to train on with my hands and my body and I need to increase my stamina in certain ways and I need to be able to uh, have interpersonal skills to, to talk to patients and listen to them and understand and there's problem solving skills. So that's not gonna happen easily, right? That, that, that comes with stress. So when I say there's gonna be stress, on the road to greatness is you pick where you want to go. Someone's dream might be, Hey, I, I, I want to be a stay at home mom with six kids. Wow. Bless you. That's amazing. I couldn't do that. You know, I, I have my hands full with three kids and I don't stay at home. Uh, but you know what? You got to be willing to take on the stress. The number one reason people fail to achieve their goals and their dreams is because they are not equipped to handle the stress that comes their way. They stop short of it. As soon as it gets too hard, they go, that's too hard. So that's why we need to train for that stress and prepare for it and engage it little by little instead of avoiding it. I mean, what's the difference? We say, first of all, easiest way to reduce stress is leave your family and quit your job. I mean, there's, there's you know, <laughs> that brings on a whole different level of stress, though. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's an extreme. It's an extreme, and it's very unrealistic. So instead of that, if we if our goal is to constantly reduce stress or avoid stress, we'll end up being couch potatoes. We sit on the couch, do nothing. We, there will be no entrepreneurs. There will be no doctors. There would be there will be no providers and people who uh, add value to society. Uh, and, and so, so everything would be hurt by that. We've got to be willing to little by little engage stress, bring it in. It's the same thing we did when we went to school. You know, first grade, we were spelling three-letter words, and it was hard, and it caused anxiety when the test was coming every Friday. But then we learned how to spell those words, and then when we were in sixth grade, those three-letter words were a joke. And then when we went to college, whatever we were doing in sixth grade was too easy. And, and so we, we constantly evolve and grow and develop. And that's why we need to be willing to accept stress. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale wrote the book, The Power of Positive Thinking. And he tells a story about how uh, he had a client in his office that said, Dr. Peale, all my problems are because of stress. If I didn't have stress, my problems would be solved. 
Dr. Peel said, let me show you some people who don't have any stress. Do you want to see them? He said, yeah, what do they do? Where do they live? I want to see where they are and what they do. I want to be just like them. So he walked them out of the church onto the cemetery next to the church. And he said, everybody underground here has no stress. And in fact, trying to reduce stress is, is taking a step towards, towards the grave. Yeah, no, that, that's true. So keep your eye on the vision and work towards that and adapt to the stress as you go along. Yeah, yeah and you mentioned uh, limiting beliefs, and, and I think you're right on with that too, because we stop ourselves on, on a lot of those things. We, we feed ourselves certain lies going, I'm not as good as that person, I'll never be there, I won't do that. I personally have dyslexia, I have really severe dyslexia. I never finished a standardized test in my entire academic career, ever. So I had to learn to memorize everything so I could get every question right because I knew I wasn't going to finish the test. So I had to get it all right. And then it, it took me six and a half years to write my book. The reason it took me that long is because I wrote it, but then because of my dyslexia, I couldn't read it to edit it. So I had to hire someone to read it to me over the phone and I had to orally edit the book until it was done. Six and a half years. But you know what? You, we all have certain things that get in our way but there is a solution to all of that if we just don't accept that self-limiting belief that says, oh, because of my dyslexia, I'll never be a doctor. Because of my dyslexia, I'll never be able to write a book or, or anything else. That's, that's not possible. What an incredible story. Wow. That's a lot of persistence. <laughs> that's fabulous. So what's next for you? I'm working on the second version of the book. Uh, this one's called Taming Your Stress Monkey, and it has a lot more uh, updated research and data in there, some more case studies and so on. So hopefully we'll get that one published someday. And uh, other than that, my practice is pretty large. I have two other chiropractors who work with us, and uh, we're looking to perhaps open more locations. Uh, my, my big firm philosophy is that uh, prevention is not the same as early detection. And to change that mentality and get that message out there of, yeah, go ahead and do the mammograms, but realize it's not preventing breast cancer. All it's doing is catching it early, which is great. You, we want that. But there aren't enough practitioners who are really promoting true prevention, which is what you were talking about, which is the lifestyle and what your podcast is focused on. So that's, those are the things that are next for me. Yeah, no, I think you termed it just beautifully, the difference between prevention and early detection. I think um, a lot of people see preventive tests as prevention, and, and they're, they're preventing late-stage disease, but they're not preventing the illness. So um, I think you put it really well. Um, if Is there... Anything that you want to share with our audience that are maybe things that they can start doing today, uh, ways they can live their life, just advice that you would like to share that maybe you share with your patients? Yeah, for sure. This, is a, this one is, is simple, easy, won't take you any time. Well, it might take you a little bit of time, but it's going to have profound effect on your entire health, especially for your viewers and, and listeners who want to lose a little bit of weight. And it's all about the fact that how you eat is more important than what you eat. So uh, I went to France a few years ago. I, I, I stayed with locals over there and I was there for three weeks. And uh, a friend of mine had moved there. So he, he had become a local. And what I noticed was uh, anybody I saw that was obese in, in 
France was actually an American tourist and, and the French didn't. And I started to look it up and there's this thing called the French paradox. And the French paradox says that the French are actually immune to heart disease. Their rates of heart disease and obesity are so low that they actually use the word immune. They're immune to it, which is crazy because their diet, and I, I ate their diet for those three weeks, is wine, cheese, and bread with practically every meal. And I go, how do you eat wine, cheese, and bread plus all the other fatty, greasy foods that you guys are eating and you, you don't gain weight? And uh, so, so here's the solution. Here in the States, a lot of us, we eat two meals a day on the road. We're in our car, driving, talking on the phone with some business associate or somebody and putting things in our mouth. Now, you could be eating the healthiest, whatever you consider to be healthy, broccoli, I don't know, uh, a, a vegetarian sandwich if you think that's healthy, whatever it might be, organic grass-fed you know, beef. But, but when you put it into your mouth, in a state of fight or flight, when the sympathetic nervous system is activated, the body has no idea how to process it. And it's going to turn into poison in your body. It's not going to have the right effect. But you do what the French do, which is they stop, they relax, they sit down, they eat their food. I mean, this was crazy. I found that in kindergarten, I, uh, I have three sons and, and their ages are three, five, and nine. And so in kindergarten here in the US, they teach my boys, hurry up and eat, stop talking. Don't talk, just eat. In France, they say, sit with your friend, eat slower, why don't you talk a little bit? Exact opposite. And they're teaching them in kindergarten. And so, so kids are learning from that early age that socialization is tremendous for the health of the body. Interaction with other people is tremendous for the health of the body and eating slowly in the right mindset. So my, my advice to you, to, to, to your audience, that if they want to do just one change, one thing is anytime you're going to eat, stop, play some classical music, say a prayer of gratitude over your food. Just get your mind in state. And you know what? I'm busy. We see hundreds of patients on a daily basis in this office. And sometimes I have maybe 10, maybe 15 minutes to eat. So you go, well, shouldn't you eat really fast? You can get all the nutrients you want. The answer is absolutely not. Eat like you have two hours to eat. Sit down, put your food on the table, play some music, relax, say a prayer, eat slowly. And when your time runs out, pack your food, put it away. Because when you eat slowly in the right mindset, that food becomes healthy food for you and the world opens up. It's amazing. Oh, that's great advice. I'm feeling relaxed just listening to you tell me about it. Um, Amir, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great conversation. Really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed it too. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.